That's right. We're playing party time music here on the Casey's Corner podcast. We are celebrating as is. A lot of other folks, or as are a lot of other folks in the state of Louisiana, are celebrating the news that the state is going to be entering phase one of the federal government reopening plan. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way. We're going to give you some COVID numbers in just a second. We're going to talk about phase one in just a second. I apologize if you hear the wind whipping around me. It's a windy day outside. I'm, re- I'm recording outside from under the patio um, on a beautiful day outside. But we're going to phase one, everybody. Everybody's been looking forward to that so very much. Everybody has been asking me for weeks about phase one and what phase one would look like. And finally, we are there. Um, so let's go ahead and do a little bit of uh, Ric Flair together, okay? Everybody, let's pause and let's all do Ric Flair together after me. One, two, three. <gasps> I don't think that there's any better way to say it than that. I think everybody's excited to get moving around again. Everybody's excited to be having some fun again. Everybody's excited to visit with friends and family again. Um, we've got to be cautious. We've got to be careful so that we don't um, revert back to old ways and have to you know, leave phase one. But I think we're going to be responsible, and I think that you know the, the current plan in place is built for success, and I think we're going to do a lot of great things. So the questions that you guys are asking me, um, what things will be opened in Phase 1 in Louisiana? Well, that's a great question. Hair salons, reopen. Nail salons, reopen. Restaurants with table service, inside table service, reopen. Movie theaters, zoos, aquariums, churches, gyms casinos, video poker, video poker parlors, racetracks, sporting events, all these things could come back as long as the uh, capacity within each venue is only 25% full based on fire marshal uh, estimates. So if a fire marshal says that 100 people could safely be in a building, then they're going to only be allowed 25 people in that same building. Um, but it's it, you know you got to start somewhere. You're going to be able to go and dine out and, and you know, have dinner with family you're going to be able to go and spend time with friends you're going to be able to go watch your kids play travel baseball go to the zoo go to the aquarium whatever it may be we're going to be able to um finally 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 be able to um have a little bit of semblance of normal and a little bit of a taste of what normal life used to be like before all this happened the governor made this announcement yesterday during a press conference he said that there were a couple of factors that went into this decision the first factor is that um, quite frankly, we are doing a little bit better now than what we were before. The, he had identified four troubled regions in the state uh, with cases that were either plateauing or still increasing in terms of hospitalizations. Those four areas have all gotten better in the last couple of weeks, which allowed for this decision to be made. And I think the greatest reason is simply um, that trip to Washington, D.C. did a lot for Governor Edwards. I think it enabled him to see you know, hey, look, we um, we got a, a testing commitment from the federal government. We're going to be able to meet this goal of 200,000 tests per month that he wants to do. Hearing it from President Trump's mouth, hearing it from Mike Pence's mouth, meeting with Dr. Fauci and you know Dr. Burks and all those wonderful people out in Washington, D.C., I think really did a lot for the governor because his tone changed uh, after that trip as compared to before. Before he was very noncommittal, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe we got to see after that trip he really immediately was saying hey look we're going to get this done it's highly likely we're going to reopen and we will um a couple of things to pay attention to first and foremost um this does not start until friday so do not go to you know your favorite restaurant today and then start hollering whenever they're not open they're not going to be open they're legally not allowed to be open until friday 
that's the first thing I've been asked about that so many times um, you know they're not going to be <laughs> opening until Friday the second thing that I've been asked is phase two when would phase two begin well in the federal government's plan um, you would enter the next phase after 14 days of continued progress but uh, Governor Edwards has already clarified and said we're going to be in phase one for 21 days. We're going to be a little bit more cautious, understandably so. Um, you got to understand, man, that, you know, we, we're, we're spoiled. You know, we want to get back so fast and we want to do every single last thing. We got to understand something. There are 50 states in the United States. And Louisiana was amongst the hardest that have been hit. Um, so we've got to you know, just be patient. This is going to iron itself out. We've got to make progress. We've got to go through all the steps and all the phases and get back to work. But I know everybody's excited. I know everybody's happy. If we would have done a poll on this, it would have been 90% happy, 10% unhappy. So we're rocking and rolling. We're cruising. More things are going to be able to be opened. More people are going to be out and about passing a good time. Uh, so yeah, it's exciting news. It's exciting to hear and kudos to everyone involved. Uh, kudos to everyone in the public. Kudos to all the residents of, you know, Louisiana and Lafouche Parish and all the different areas that were once very hard hit, but have made tremendous progress. 78% of COVID cases in Louisiana are now closed. There are fewer than 7,000 7, currently sick people in the entire state of Louisiana. There are fewer than 150 people on ventilators in Louisiana. There are fewer than you know, 1,350 patients in the hospital with COVID-19 ailments. We're going to get you all those numbers in just a second. But the progress is marked. The progress is admirable. Louisiana got knocked on its ass, excuse my language, early in this pandemic fight. But then it bounced back strong and our curve has been flattened. And now it's our job to be uh, cautious going forward and keep it flattened, but cautious while also getting back to work. And um, like I said, kudos and my sincerest thanks to all the people and my sincerest thanks to all the medical professionals who are doing just an outstanding job in, in keeping people safe, keeping people healthy, giving people guidance and kudos to all of our local legal leaders, um, Parish President Chasson, Sheriff Weber, uh, Superintendent of Schools, Jared Martin, all of our you know, mayors and police chiefs of the towns. They're all doing a wonderful job. I could honestly say we are in a better place uh, in terms of legal leadership now than what we were at, in any time really in my career. So kudos to everybody involved with that. So with that having been said, we're going to take a look at today's updated numbers. Um, continued progress has been made. I could tell you that there are 32,050 COVID cases in the state of Louisiana. Uh, 22,608 patients have recovered. That's as of yesterday. So that number is probably a little bit more today. But 22,608 have recovered. 32,050 total cases. Um, the state of Louisiana is really ramping up its testing. Um, 7,000 plus tests today continue to be in that seven to 9,000 test range. So they're making great progress and great strides towards meeting that 200,000 tests per day goal that the governor has. Um, I don't know if they're going to actually get there. And I think one of the hindrances to getting there is going to be, I don't know that there's going to be enough sick patients to test. Um, because the, the big hassle that, doctor, or that doctors and medical professionals are telling me is that they're running out of people to test. People are not going to the doctor's office claiming to be sick anymore. 
But if you get to that 7,000, you, know, you do the math, 7,000 times 30, that's 210,000 tests total in a 30-day month. So if they continue at this pace, they will meet their goal. And Louisiana um, has done a tremendous job uh, in terms of staying out in front of testing. We could question Governor John Bell Edwards' decisions until the cows come home. Um, but one area that unquestionably he has done a tremendous job is keeping the state out in front in testing capacity. Um, Louisiana has been a per capita leader in testing from the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, so he's done an excellent job in making sure that there have been test kits available and that patients are getting tested. And um, that's, you know, kudos to them. Uh, they've, they've done a good job to stay out in front of that. And right now they're doing a pretty good job of keeping in front of the goal of 200,000 tests per month. 1320, 1,320 patients are currently in the hospital with COVID-related ailments. That number was once 2,100. So again, great progress being made in that area. 146 patients are on ventilators. That number was once 570 plus. So those numbers have been slashed. Um, our death total in Louisiana is 2,281. 66 of those are classified as probable deaths. I have been asked quite often, what does that mean, probable death? That means um, that a patient died from pneumonia, uh, you know, or you know, lung-related illnesses, and they're awaiting their test, or they died before they could get a test administered. So they're just listing them as a probable death. Um, in many cases, we'll see that number shrink or go up or go down as more pa as more patients of that uh, mold uh, come in and pass away. But so it's 2281 in terms of death, 66 probable death in um, the state of Louisiana. In Lafouche Parish, the cases have gone up by two today. There are 715 COVID cases in the parish. Now 60 people have died. Um, COVID cases have only gone up by four in the last two days. So the case, the case growth in Lafouche has been pretty good and pretty marked. Um, the tract mapping in terms of identifying where in the parish these virus cases are coming from, it continues to be more heavily predominant in the northern portion of the parish. But there are a couple of tracks in central Lafouche. There's one in Raceland that has produced, four, uh, let's see, click on it, 33 cases. There's one in the Lockport down to, you know, the, the LaRose area that is 23 cases. But the overwhelming majority of cases have been in the northern reaches of the parish. There's one hot tract in the Thibodeau area with 63 cases, uh, several others in the 30 to 40 range. So Thibodeau has been the hardest hit so far. And it's kind of been predominantly in that area next to the border with Terrebonne Parish and the northwestern reaches of Lafouche that have been the hardest hit. Hospitalization numbers, well actually let's do this. Um, I've been asked quite often to uh, give rundown of who is dying from COVID-19. I could tell you that 1,529 of our deaths have been 70 or older. 418 more have been in the 60 to 69 range. So you do a little loose math there. That's oh, uh, almost two thousand. Um, yeah, that's almost two thousand of our twenty two hundred eighty one are in the sixty on up age group. Um, so that's you know, it goes to tell you that this is primarily uh, a virus that impacts uh, the elderly and the, those with pre diagnosed conditions. And and that's just the way that it's been. That's why we've got to protect that area of the population most. Uh, what pre-diagnosed conditions are the most deadly? Hypertension, high blood pressure. 53% of COVID patients that have died had high blood pressure. Um, diabetes, 33% of our Louisiana death total have been come from patients with diabetes. 
17% obese, um, 18% for both cardiac disease and chronic kidney failure, uh, congestive heart failure, 11%, cancer, 6%, neurological disorder, 6%, asthma, 3%. And this continues to be a disease that is ravishing the black community in Louisiana. The black community in Louisiana does not make up the majority of our population, but yet 56% of the people who have died in Louisiana are black. Um, no answers for that. The scientists are trying to figure out why that is, but haven't been able to figure that out. In terms of what age group are contracting the virus the most, the 50 through 59 age group lead with 6,034 cases, but it's pretty much spread out. Um, the younger age groups have less uh, in part because they're also being tested less because they're the lowest risk, but 30 through 39 has 5,081, 40 through 49, 54, 35, uh, 50 through 59, 6,034, 60 through 69, 52, 73, and 70 on up, 59, 20. So it's all about the same. Everybody's catching this at about an equal rate, but the overwhelming vast majority of the fatalities have come from the age groups of 70 plus and then 60 through 69. Um, so this is a disease that is uh, doing damage to our elderly, and uh, we've got to try to figure out ways to protect them. Hospitalization numbers for Region 3, that is our region in Louisiana. 18 patients are on ventilators in Region 3. There are 105 ventilators available, so that's great progress. ICU bedding is a stat that we've been following. That is a stat that has not been trending in the right direction, quite frankly, lately. Um, there have been uh, a little bit of an uptick in terms of ICU beds that have been in use. Uh, 59 ICU beds are in use. 35 are available. Keep in mind, um, these are not all COVID patients. There are not 59 COVID patients that are in ICU beds in Region 3. This could be someone who has open heart surgery. This could be someone who has, uh, you know, uh, delivered a baby premature and the baby's in ICU for a couple of days. And one thing that I've been advised by a medical expert is that that number is also going up now because there are more procedures and more things that are happening now that were not happening in the past so you know you may have an elective procedure and um, you know you may not recover the way that you thought you would and may need to you know be in the hospital for a couple of days so those numbers are going up but I'm told that the actual COVID cases are leveling and the COVID patients in the hospitals are leveling even though that ICU bedding number is going up a little bit total beds available 411 beds are in use 312 are available that number has been consistent. It's been around that vicinity over the last several days during the pandemic fight. So all in all, uh, continued progress uh, for Louisiana. I also want to read this uh, before we catch a break. Um, in, in the United States as a whole, we have made pretty good progress. And we don't talk about the United States or the country as a whole a lot here because we're focused very um, much of our attention on, on local but it, th these numbers are now one day old because I posted this last night. There have been 172,999 COVID cases in the United States in the last seven days. In the seven days before that, there were 202,479. So there's almost 30,000 less cases the last week than there was the week before that. Uh, the death total has gone down by more than 400 nationwide. And all this is happening while we're testing more and more people. There were 1.8 million tests in the last seven days. There were 1.5 million tests in the seven days before that. So there were 300,000 more tests done and 30,000 fewer cases. So what does that tell you? It tells you that we're starting to 
bridge that gap a little bit and we're starting to have fewer sick people i've seen a lot of folks dispute those numbers and they say oh my goodness well if you take you know new york city out of the equation then the rest of the country's going up and it's hogwash the country is doing much better now than it was 14 days ago just look at the data uh, form your own opinions based on the numbers not based on what a biased national media company is doing to try to scare you or trying to damage the reputation of the president of the united states so let's go ahead and catch a quick commercial break uh, actually, let's go ahead and give a rundown of the show. I got kind of excited early in the show and we were celebrating phase one. I didn't even give you guys a rundown of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to have South Lafouche, a uh, graduate and UNO women's basketball player going into her junior season, Treya Bruce. She will be joining us a little later in the show to talk about some things that are going on in privateer land. Trey also recently got a big time community service award. We're going to talk to her about that. Trey is a wonderful person, one of my favorite student athletes that I've ever covered. Uh, tremendous player, tremendous person. We're going to give uh, her some shout outs and a rundown of some things going on for her. And then also we're going to talk to professional basketball player and Thibodeau High School graduate and native Siobhan Coleman. Siobhan is playing all over the world, uh, living his dream, playing around the globe, seeing places he never thought he would see. Siobhan is also a new father. He's been traveling the globe with his new family. We're going to ask him about all that and more. And then we're going to close out the show with a sports update. There are plenty of things going on in the world of sports for the first time in a while. There are people that are talking about opening things back up. So we're going to give all that and more. It's Casey's Corner on the Lafouche Gazette. Uh, we'll be right back after this quick break. And this break will allow me to tell you guys that I'm doing this Casey's Corner podcast for you, our readers and our listeners at the Lafouche Gazette. Um, I'm doing this 100% for you to give you guys an opportunity to have a little peace of mind and a little bit of normalcy during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but I also want your input into the things we talk about. So if there's a guest you'd like me to get, let me know. I'll try my darndest to have them on. If there's a topic you'd like me to talk about, let me know. And I'll do my darndest to inform myself and educate myself on that topic. If there's a team that you want to reminisce about or a game or anything of that sort, let me know. We'll make it happen here on the Casey's Corner Podcast. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. We are joined by our first call-in guest of the day, South Lafouche graduate and University of New Orleans women's basketball player, Miss Treya Bruce. Treya, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Look, um, you are in such an interesting situation uh, because you are a student athlete who is uh, trying to stay fit and stay in shape during a quarantine period. So I got to ask you, what are you doing to you know try to stay healthy and stay moving around and make sure you're in tip-top condition? Well, I'm trying my best to mimic what we would be doing after school after season, spring workouts, summer workouts. So, I mean, usually I would be on the shooting machine a lot and stuff, but since I'm back home, I've just been shooting around in my driveway, running up and down the street, just trying to stay in condition without the materials and equipment that we would normally be using at this moment. Very good. And you were in um, such an awkward position because your Southland Conference tournament was happening like right around the time where all of this was starting to go down. So talk us through that process of, you know, uh, the the uncertainty and then, man, everything just coming to a crashing halt in just such a short amount of time. Yeah, so we were actually on the court, and we warmed up. They called out the starters' names, and we were on the court about to tip off, and the referees were like, go back to to y'all bench. So uh, one of my – one of the – and coaches she was sitting and 
she got an alert on her phone and it was saying how they started canceling that bit the big Big Ten and SEC conference tournaments. So we were like, well, what's going to happen? So I've, after like 20 minutes, they made us warm up again and then they decided to call the tournament. And just seeing the seniors like emotional and stuff, it just, it tore me apart because like you never, like my coach always says, you never know what's going to happen. And just being there, seeing that is just, it was really crazy. Like, they didn't know that was how their last game would be. They didn't even get to play the game. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it's just, it's heartbreaking. And, and when, when y'all woke up for, you know, team breakfast and everything that morning, did y'all have any inkling that this was even possible? Um, Not really. I mean, they had started talking how it was getting a little bit more serious, but none of us really thought that the tournament would get canceled. Because the day before, every team got to practice in the same facility. So we didn't feel like it would be canceled, but, I mean, it just you never know. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Trey, is, is obviously uh, University of New Orleans made the decision, uh, as did several other universities, to go to online classes. And I got to ask you, because when I was at LSU, I got to tell you, I, I couldn't have done that. I would not have made good grades. I would have struggled. I'm just kind of an in-person learning guy. What was that like to be doing your coursework online? Was it hard? Did you like it? What was that process like? So I actually finished my last final today. Yeah. But I had I had two online classes already this semester. So those were like electives that weren't necessarily as hard mm-hmm. on the computer. But having... I'm a math major, so I was taking two math this semester, calculus three and discrete math, and that was pretty hard to learn online. I mean, it's like you you get the notes and stuff, but uh, like you, I am also an in-person learning person. Like, I just need to see it and be taught rather than just read it on a computer. So that was tough to get used to and change. But I think I pulled it off. There you go. Um, Trey, your sophomore season and your freshman season were a little bit different. Uh, you were asked to do a little bit of a different role as a sophomore as, as compared to your freshman year. Uh, how did you handle that? And then how you look to you know kind of build on that and, and break out a little more as a junior? Um, coming in my freshman year, I feel like I was getting adjusted to becoming a two rather than a one position player. So that was... My kind of like a struggle my freshman year, and then my sophomore year, I feel like there was a lot of personal stuff that had going on that kind of held me back from doing what I wanted to. But as a team overall, I feel like we did really well, and I'm looking forward to next year. And and you're right, your your team did start to make some strides. Um, for those who are not, you know, all too familiar with Lady Privateer basketball, do y'all have a, a, a lot of seniors, or do you have a lot of that core coming back? So actually, we had six seniors. Wow. And we had, yeah, so like more than half of the team will not return next year. So we're gonna have a very young, fresh team. But I'm looking forward to seeing them compete and just hopefully we do as well as we did this year, or even better. Very good. And. One of the things I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about was your, your time in high school. I, I got to tell you, and I tell everybody this, your run in the postseason as both a junior and a senior were some of the most, the greatest individual performances that I've seen. There were stretches where you were scoring 
18, 20 points in a row for your team, just putting your team on your back and willing the Lady Tarpons forward. Talk about what that was like, you know, to, to be a part of that. But then also, you know, and I had Michaela Bynum on in the last show, just she talks about the community support and then how loud the gyms were. That's going to be those are going to be days that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Talk about what that experience was like for you. Right. So, of course, all the hard work and effort that I put in in the off season and the days of the week that I've had to give up sacrifices to do other things to put in extra work that paid off. But I couldn't have done it without my teammates, for sure. Like, they were a big part of my success and the team's success. And having the support from the community, it is really crazy. It's awesome. Like, you're on the court and you, they call a timeout and you're in the huddle. You can't even hear what coach is saying. <laughs> Everybody's there. It's just it's really chaotic. But whenever you step on the court, it kind of goes away. Like, in my head, it's just the court, my team, and what we need to get done. But the support is awesome, and we couldn't have done it without all the support. You're in a weird situation in that, um, you know, a lot of times when players go from high school to college, they have to get adjusted to the bigger crowds at the college level. You didn't have to make that adjustment because a lot of times your high school crowd may be larger than your college crowd. Um, right. I mean, right. it's just unbelievable to, to think, you know, the support in that little old program. And and one of the things I want to ask you about was was the game where we were in the quarterfinals and, and pushed forward and clinched to the top 28. Talk to me about that experience and what that was like. You were part of a team that is one of just a handful of Lady Tarpon teams to ever do that. Right. It was a big accomplishment. Like, after when the buzzer rang and the student, that was my favorite part. I could remember that forever. The student section ran onto the court and we were all just happy jumping around. And then I found my mom and I was hugging her. And it's just, it was an awesome feeling because the past few years that I played there, we were at like say an away game for the second or third round where they would do that because we lost. Yeah. So it was nice to be reversed and us be celebrating us going on and it was just a really great moment no doubt about it now you said you were a math major what are you trying to turn your math major to uh career-wise um at the moment i'm not too sure but i have been thinking about possibly teaching okay math or yeah i'm not sure yet i had it all planned out but now i don't (laughs) now I got to ask you, teaching math, that would mean you'd be in the school system. Would that mean that there could be a possibly a Coach Bruce in the future? Possibly so. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Now, and, and whether or not I do decide to teach, I do plan on like coaching Betty or stuff like that, like AU maybe. Like that's all in the mix for sure. Okay, very good. And one of the things I, I want to have you on for is you recently won something that is so bigger than the, great, than the game of basketball. You won a service award. You were the UNO student-athlete who logged the most service hours of any other student-athlete in the entire athletic program at UNO. What were some of the things that you were doing to compile those hours, and how good does it feel to be recognized for that service? Treya, kudos to you. That's an amazing thing. Thank you. So it's, it's a great feeling. It's nice to give back to people who've given, given you so much. And just to see them smile from something you did is awesome. And some of the things I did, there's the animal shelter in New Orleans that I go to. And I help walk the dogs, clean their kennels, stuff like that, that they or maybe short staff that need help and stuff. So that's nice. 
And there's this um, program called Son of a Saint where you tutor the young kids in that program. So that's nice to be able to help possibly do what I want in the future, try to help them tutor and stuff like that. Um, as a team, we would go to different races. We could hand out water, hand out T-shirts, just anything that they really need help with. That's all that they could really ask for of you. It's just to help, and it's a great feeling to give back. Very good. And, and um, you are living down the by now during the the quarantine period. But what was it like, or what is it like to to live in the city? Uh, do, do you like it in New Orleans? Uh, talk to us what it's like. Because I mean, you move from a very small town to one of the bigger cities in the United States. Right. In New, I mean, the University of New Orleans isn't really. It's like in a smaller part of New Orleans, I guess, not in the big city area. So sure. it's kind of quiet and for sure safe. But um, I mean. Down the road from there is the arena, so I spend most of my time there. And maybe on the weekends or some days I have off, I might take a ride to the mall or go eat somewhere. But I don't really go downtown that often. But, I mean, it's still really different. It's nice having the lake. It's a gorgeous view. It's just really nice. Very good. And um, before we let you off the line, we like to end these interviews by uh, kind of asking some random things to people to let let our listeners know a little bit more about you. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, who's your favorite basketball player? Who's a player that you've gained some inspiration from in the past? Oh, my all-time favorite would probably have to be Chris Paul. I remember going to his camp when I was little. I still have my plaque, actually. I won player of the week. With, I had a picture with him, so he's probably my all-time favorite. But I am a LeBron fan also. Okay. Okay, we're not going to hold that against you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Come on. One of the things I wanted to ask you about um, before we let you go, you were part of a Biddy World Championship team at a young age. Um, what was that experience like? Because I remember writing about it. I remember telling people about it. To learn how to win at a high level at such a young age, what was that like? It was pretty cool. I know they have um, a video on YouTube. I still go watch it sometimes. But, I mean... It's a great feeling to accomplish something that you've been dreaming since for so long. Like when I'm seven, when I was seven playing for the cutoff hurricanes, I was thinking about that. And to go and finally do it is pretty great. It's awesome. You have a sister who's trying to uh, you know, develop as a player. Uh, what do you tell her and what would you tell other players trying to you know, get to that collegiate level? What, would you, what advice would you give them? I would just tell them to work hard because it pays off and once you get there don't stop working always work hard and always be humble and give back to those who gave so much to you just keep your head up and i mean just do it it's great advice trey thank you so much for the time thank you that was Trey Bruce joining us on the Casey's Corner Podcast. We'll be right back after this commercial break. We'll have another basketball player on the line. Siobhan Coleman, Thibodeau graduate, professional ball player, will be joining us on the next segment here on LaFoucheGazette.com. LaFoucheGazette.com is your home for all the latest happenings in the LaFouche Parish efforts to fight COVID-19. Every single day at noon, we have a new story with all the updated numbers, and we give um, you know all the latest figures, and we keep you informed. So that's LaFoucheGazette.com. Visit us today for all the latest in the fight in the state of Louisiana and in LaFouche Parish against COVID-19. We want to thank Trey Bruce for the interview in the last segment. Uh, this is the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. 
Now we go back to the phone lines where we have Thibodeau High School graduate, former LSU basketball player, and now professional basketball player Siobhan Coleman on the line. Siobhan, how are you today, man? I'm going really good, man. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Um, you were in a situation where you're kind of in a waiting period. You're uh, waiting to get back to work, but the world is kind of shut down. So what are some of the things that Siobhan Coleman is doing to try to stay in shape and stay ready to rock and roll whenever the world opens back up? Well, the most formal, the most formal thing is me keeping my family healthy, my wife and my and my um, son healthy. That's the main thing But me, just spending time with them as much as I can while I'm not playing basketball right now. And at the time I missed out miss out on with practicing and traveling when I'm crossed there. You know, I get to make up all that time right now for with the quarantine. So it's kind of going good, but it's also sad that, you know, I'm still not, I'm not out there playing basketball. Right now we will be in the playoffs. I think it's playoff time right now, so playoffs will be starting. But um, I'm out here in my backyard doing what I always do every summer, come work, do, do the um my ladder workouts, my, my body's own jumps. I got a basketball basketball goal in my backyard that you know I get a couple of shots up here and there, but it's nothing like competing competing on a level with other with other players. So where were you in the world whenever all this started? I was in Belgium. Okay. I was in Belgium when all this took place. And, and you were in the middle of your season. Uh, when did you find out? You know, hey, this is happening. And then when did you find out ultimately, hey, it's time to come on back home. Well, we found out about um the virus a few months ago a few months ago before like everything shut down you know what happened in china but you know people we didn't take it so serious we didn't think it was that big of a deal you know that's why we continue to keep playing and playing and i remember after like our last game that we played march 1st you know we started hearing that you know it's starting to get out of hand in the world so we started here to talk around the league that the league might get shut down because of Vibes and stuff, and like two or three days later, news come out that you know a lot of places is being affected with the virus, and places and and countries are getting shut down. And uh, once we got all the good, all the all the news about everything, uh, we had a team meeting about everything about the league was shutting down, and you know it would be best for us probably to go go back to the U.S. Well, you know, we feel comfortable and safe that, you know, and once we had that meeting, I think me and my family, we had like two days to pack up all our things and we left them out of there because they was getting ready to shut the airports and things down and we didn't want to get the fuck out of there. You, you, you touched on something that I was about ready to ask you about is um, you had your, your family with you this time and I know that that had to be great and, and one of the things I love seeing is you know, you posting pictures of, you know, your, your, your family and your kid and everything, enjoying the, the time around the world with you. How much does it mean to be able to spend this time with them while you're traveling and making a living? Oh, that's probably the, one of the best things I can ever ask for in life. You know, um, it's just it's always was a dream to me, you know, having my own family one day and traveling the world. I was always said when I was in high school that I want to travel the world and go places, like see other things. And now that I get the opportunity to do it and do it with my family, like I said, uh, you know, when I was, when I get a little older, I would like to have my own family. But traveling with them too, you know, it's the best feeling in the world because they get to experience everything with me. I just don't get to do it by myself. How much has being a dad changed you, man? Because I, I know, I mean, you've always been a great person, but it feels like you're just loving the heck out of being a dad. What's that like? Yeah, that changed me a lot. I think now, now that I'm a dad. Uh, I look at my son and I get really emotional. 
like I'm I'm not the type of person that like I don't really have emotions at all. But when I look at my son and I just hold my son in my hands, like it's just the feeling that I get. Like I get really emotional seeing my own kid. You know, because he's going he's going to look up to me when he get older and things like that. So it's just a different feeling. It makes me I do things different now before I make any choices. I think about my son. And those, you know, how can how would that affect him if I go ahead and do something crazy or act crazy on the court? You know, I, I would think about him with everything I do. That's awesome. And and so, what's it like? Um, to, I, I had Teresa plays on on in, in the last show. I have I've had Randy Brown on in a couple of shows before that. Um, and and they all have different stories about what it's like being an American traveling the world. Um, what is it like? Do you like that grind? I know you said you love to travel, but do you like being, you know, the, the, the foreign person in these other countries or is it something that, that, you know, it gets old at times? What is it like for Siobhan Coleman to be sort of the, the traveling basketball player, so to speak? Me as a person, I love it. You know, I love the feeling of being a new person. I always look at the new person on the block that nobody, that no one knows you. And, you know, you got to go out and perform because no one knows what they expect from you. They see you like, and videos that you but they don't know you as a person. For me personally, I love traveling. I love going out there and being a, a foreign player out there and, you know, meeting new people, learning new languages and things like that. So I love it. Like, um, if it was up to me, I would move, I would actually move out overseas somewhere because I, that's how much I love it out there. And what's it like, the food situation? You're, I mean, in Louisiana, there's the best food in the world. Is there anything around the world that's been able to compare to Louisiana so far? Uh, not in the world compared to Louisiana food. Me personally, I'm just a food person. I'm just a food person anyways. You know, I eat all, any type of food. You know, I like trying new things. I like to experience new things. And I love food, period. So I'm big on the new types of food out there and things like that. So, Siobhan, you played at Thibodeau High School. And... I know that school is near and dear to you. And I remember a couple of years ago, whenever they won the championship, I remember seeing some messages and you were asking people to go live because you wanted to watch the games and everything like that. How much did it mean to you for a team from that high school that's so near and dear to you to win the, the, the championship? What did that mean to you? And when they won the championship, I actually let out a few tears, you know, because I was so happy and so proud. Not just for the player, but for Coach Clark because he worked so hard and he pushed his player so hard for him. They get the programs, wedding, they call And Temple High got so much of talent that comes through there, you know. But that team, that was a special team. You know, they had good leadership by Kobe. You know, he ran the team perfectly. Everybody followed his lead. And it just was awesome to see that, you know, my high school winning, winning their first championship in basketball. You know, that was an amazing feeling. So tell the, the listeners a little bit about your journey. You, you know, you were a Thibodeau guy. Um, you went to a smaller school at first, played, succeeded, and then made the leap to LSU. Um, and, man, there were times where, I, I'm going to be honest, the first couple of seasons when you were at that smaller school, you were putting up numbers, but I wasn't aware that you were you know, still out there. But, you know, everybody was kind of sleeping on you. Then you get to LSU and make some waves. Talk us through your collegiate journey a little bit. Yeah, you know, I started off at Temple High. You know, wasn't that wasn't very big going into – JUCO, you know, I played JUCO for two years in Howard, Texas. You know, I was going in there playing that that JUCO had just won a national championship. They had three starters returning on that team. And in my head, I'm like, you know, I'm competitive. I like to compete with the best players. It doesn't matter if you've been here or you're just coming. I'm going to compete and give my all. And uh, when I got there, you know, I learned that 
it's not high school anymore. Everyone was the best player on the high school basketball team. This is going to be, you know, a new challenge for me. Like, I'm not going to have the ball all the time. I'm not going to get every rebound. So I got to come in and put in as much work as I can on and off the court. And, you know, that's what I did. I went I went there with a goal. I got there when I got my home. When I got my dorm room, I, wrote, I had a piece of paper and I had a picture of my mom on started. And my goal was to make it out of JUCO to high division. Division one. I think I still got the picture somewhere in my old phone that I took. That um, I don't have to go back and look for. But I took a picture of it and say, "Make it out of JUCO to high division one. Prove everyone wrong that you can't do it." And after that, I just work. I just work, work, work. Weight room basketball. Weight room basketball. Nonstop. That's what I. That's what I did the whole two years when I was there. I left weights and I played. And I played basketball. Worked on my game. You know. I had a I had a okay, I'm mean, an okay freshman year. My sophomore year, you know, um, I got invited to the top 100 All American JUCO camp. You know, I went out there and I uh, performed, and I ended up getting ranked like number number eight JUCO player in the nation my sophomore year. So I was the top contender in JUCO. You know, but that 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 just put uh, you know put fire on 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 field. And I found out like, hey, I felt like I felt like I was the best player in JUCO, you know. But that just had some burning for me that would made me work even harder. And that season, I think I played real good. <clears throat> that was one of the best seasons I ever had, like at JUCO and my college career, because I put in so much work and it all paid off. And when it came down to it, I had multiple offers at the end of the season. But I, of course, I, I wanted to come home to LSU and play at LSU, and that was you know a big dream for me coming true. I couldn't pass that up. I was so happy and excited when you made the decision to commit with LSU because, you know, a guy from my area going to the school that I went to and the school that I love so much. What was it like to be a Tiger, man? Best feeling in the world. Best feeling in the world. No matter where I go, I can go out of the country, anywhere people know the school LSU. I wear, I wear my purple and gold proudly. Anywhere I go, you know, I make sure I bring some type of LSU basketball, football, shirt, pants, shorts, anything with me and let people know, you know, this is the school I went to, this is the best school in the world, you know. We got the best players, the best facilities and everything, you know, it just I just, I just sit down and I you know, when I sit down and I talk I talk with my family, I talk with my wife talk with my wife and I was telling you, you know, it's just crazy that I really went to L S U. Like who would have ever thought that I would have made it to L S U but I did. <clears throat> and what's crazy was my mother in law, um she had a, a um a box full of LSU stuff when I was there, and she gave it to me uh, three days ago. So you know I went through it, <clears throat> and I'm letting my son just sit with everything and look at everything. So you know, I got so much memories for him. So when he get older, when he get older, he can see all the things that you know that I accomplished, and he can see that it was really true that I went to LSU because I got videos, pictures, jerseys, a lot of stuff that you know I didn't know that I still had. So, no, that's, that, awesome. that's awesome, man. And, and I'm sure if I had to guess that this past fall when we were beating the brains out of everybody, you maybe were you know doing a little trash talking to Trevon and, and Greg and, and all your buddies. I'm sure you ha- you probably got a couple of words in with those guys when our football team was mashing everybody's brains in, huh? All the time. All <laughs> the time. <laughs> all the time. 
all the time. You know, that's one. That's one of the big. That's one of the things that we always talk about. People don't fail to realize that my, yeah, my mom with my year when I was at Tudor High, we had I think five players playing the SEC. We had Brent play baseball. I played basketball. Trey Granny played at LSU. All three of us played at LSU, and we had Greg and Javon went to Auburn. That's what people fail to realize. Just that, just in those three, three, those three years at, at Tudor High, we put out five SEC players. In every sport, that, that's... that was amazing, you know. And me being at school with those guys, you know, looking at them like, man, we went to high school together. Now we had this big time Division One school. It's crazy. Oh, that's that's unbelievable, man! And I'm so proud of all of you guys for making those things happen. Um, so what are you hearing? Uh, do you have any type of guidance on when leagues may start to open up? Or are you just kind of waiting? What what are you hearing right now? No, I'm hearing a lot of good things. You know, I've been getting a lot of good. I've been getting a lot of good offers. Uh, some seasons going to start on time. Some might get pushed back a couple of weeks or a month. It just, you know, I just didn't make a decision yet. I'm just waiting on a perfect time, and uh, you know, I discuss everything with my wife, and we figure out what's what's the best move, and that's you know that's what it's going to be. But I hear I've been hearing that some seasons going to start on time. That's awesome. Um... So let me ask you this, man. Uh, you, you talked about, you know, all the different guys you went to school with, and now there are, there's a talented crop of, of, you know, Thibodeau High School athletes amongst all the different sports, and every year they're sending a couple of guys to, you know, different programs or different sports. If if you were speaking to that eighth or ninth grader, uh, you know, that you know, that junior high kid that's at West or East or, you know, that freshman that's just getting to Thibodeau, and they have aspirations to play at the highest level, what would you tell them to try to encourage them to keep pushing? Follow their dream and don't give up. Don't let no one tell you that you cannot do something because that'd be the people that didn't get nowhere. I was good in sports in some type of way, but they didn't really go nowhere because they didn't have no one to push them or tell them they can get out and go do it. Cause that was my motivation coming out. You know, people used to always tell me I was too small. I'm going to JUCO. I ain't going to survive over there. It's just always, you always got to have a motivation. But that would be my thing to those guys, you know. Don't listen to the negative things people are going to tell you because they don't want to see you. They don't want to see you succeed. I always talk with people and I always tell them, you know, follow your dream. Go out and live your dream, you know. Basketball is a, is a reward. Because you earn everything in the classroom. You take care of everything in the classroom. Basketball is your reward and you're going to have fun with it. you got to have fun and you're going to enjoy it. So live it up. I hear you, brother. Live it up indeed. Siobhan, thanks so much for the time, my friend. No problem. Take care. That was Siobhan Coleman joining us on the Casey's Corner podcast. Let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to give you an update on some things happening in the world of sports, and we'll sign off on LaFoucheGazette.com. We'll be right back after this break. And this would be a good reminder to remind you about the LaFouche Gazette app available in all app stores today. Uh, just go to your app store, type LaFoucheGazette.com. You get the latest access to all of our news that we're producing. You can get push notifications and Anything that we're producing, we could send it to you on your app. 100% easy, 100% free. You don't have to do anything except go to your app store, type LaFouche Gazette, download our app today. That's where you can get all the latest and greatest and stay informed with everything happening in our community. Again, it's the LaFouche Gazette app in your app store, available today. We have to thank Treya Bruce and Siobhan Coleman, our two awesome calling guests today. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. I always um, am excited to book call-in guests. 
and then it almost becomes a challenge because we've had so many good ones. Um, it becomes a challenge of trying to make sure that they're as entertaining as the previous ones were. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed so much hearing about Treya Bruce's, you know, college career and her high school stories and this, the community service she's doing. And I enjoyed so much hearing from Siobhan Coleman, his story about writing a message uh, to himself with his goals and next to a picture of his mom and stuff that gives me the free songs, stuff that you know gives me goosebumps. And it's the reason why we do what we do. So we're going to continue to have uh, calling guests and, and athletes from around the area and even outside of the area who could give perspective to some of the things that are going on. Um, so if we want to wrap up today's show by giving an update in the world of sports. This is uh, something that has been kind of slow. Um, that there were not a lot of things going on in the world of sports. So we had been opening up these shows with more, you know, COVID heavy content. But then now we're getting to a point where um, there are things that are going on and, and we could, you know, have a little bit more to talk about, have a little bit more to break down. So one of the things that is, uh, well, first off, let's start local. Um, I've been asked a million and 50 times by local coaches. Uh, what does phase one mean? You know, can we get back to work? Can we start practicing? Can we start having team meetings? Can we, you know, get our guys back together? Um, the easy answer to that is, is I don't know. It, it's going to be, from what I understand, it's going to be a situation of both yes and no. Um, I talked to superintendent Jared Martin with LaFouche Parish uh, yesterday and Superintendent Martin said um, that they are going to make a plan for athletics in the coming weeks uh, or in the coming days rather um, and they're going to figure out what exactly is going to be allowed. Superintendent Martin was very open in saying hey right now I don't know what's going to be allowed. They're trying to to get you know guidance from the state of Louisiana in terms of what's going to be allowed how many things are going to be open, what's going to be open. And another thing to consider is, okay, we hear this magic number of, of you know, fire marshal, 25% capacity. Um, I'm talking to people at the schools right now, and they don't know what their fire marshal capacity is for, you know, their meeting rooms, their locker rooms, their weight rooms. So they're going to have to get guidance on those things, and then they'll try to piece together a plan. But I can tell you that from what I'm hearing, um, we're not going to be in a situation where the summer is going to be completely washed and nothing is going to be done. Superintendent Martin said that he would be highly against that. Um, they're going to want school teams to be able to work out in some form or fashion. It may, you know, the way he told it to me yesterday was it may be wind sprints in the football stadium. It may be meeting in the end zones with students, you know, socially distanced. Um, but there are going to be some form of summer activities and as we've talked about, um, there has to be, because if there is going to be a fall, there has to be a summer because th there's a summer for a reason. And it's to condition these, these kids' bodies, get them ready for the grinds ahead. Um, you can't play football, you know, just showing up and then playing a game two weeks later. You've got to get in condition to handle the heat. You got to get in condition to handle the contact. You got to learn your offenses, learn your systems. Um, so in the coming days, we're going to have guidance on what that's going to look like. Uh, Superintendent Martin, uh, quite frankly, doesn't know. They're going to make plans with Mr. Uh, Kenny Delcom. Um, here's what I know about that. Uh, Mr. Kenny Delcom is a very smart guy. Um, he loves school athletics as much as the next guy. Um, they're going to come up with a way to do this. 
but it's going to be done reasonably. It's going to be done safely. And again, this pertains to phase one. So whenever we would get, that would be, you know, the beginning of June, um, from now until the beginning of June. Then when we would get to the beginning of June, um, and would perhaps enter phase two, then things could open up. The umbrella could open up maybe even a little more, and then more things would be allowed. Um, but I've been asked by coaches all the time. So I just wanted to out front say, yeah, I got a feeling you're going to be able to do something. Um, but I don't know exactly what that's going to be yet. Just keep it to, on the fushgazette.com. There's going to be some guidance. There's going to be, you know, some, some, uh, proclamations issued and a plan will be put in place. And whatever that plan is put in place, we'll let you guys know. So let's see. Um, let's start in the world of basketball. According to ESPN.com, the Players Union has issued a poll today, which they are asking players, simple yes or no, do you want to play uh, and finish off the season, yes or no? Um, several players have come out publicly since the news of this has leaked on Twitter and social media and different various forms of social media, and I haven't seen anybody publicly say no yet. Um, I got a feeling that we're not going to see very many people say no for a couple of reasons. A, competitive drive. B, money. I mean, if you don't play, you don't get paid, right? So, you know, players like to get paid. They like those million-dollar salaries. And, you know, just I think the the, the overlying theme is going to be just um, trying to give back something to the fans who need them. Um, we need basketball right now. I mean, if we're watching a basketball documentary about Michael Jordan and the numbers of tens of millions of people watching that documentary – how much would we would we be watching the NBA playoffs right now? How much would we be watching MLB right now? Uh, I think the numbers would be astonishing, and I think that these leagues would be, uh, even though they may be a little bit nervous about having events without fans, I think that the numbers that they would see would be off the roof, and especially on baseball's part, but more about them in just a second. Uh, at a time where baseball is struggling to reach out to fans, Man, you've got an open audience. Like, there's no reason for them to not be trying to get back. They're the sport that stands the most to gain, and they're the sport that could do this the the safest. Because you know you are permanently socially distanced in baseball. There's no one standing next to one another, and you're outdoors. Um, but NBA is trying to finalize their plan. They're trying to figure out whether or not to to resume. Um, the only pushback I would see would be from teams out of contention, maybe saying, "Hey, what's the point?" That's a very selfish way of doing business. I think at the bare minimum, we're going to see the league just freeze the standings and start the playoffs. But I don't even think that's going to happen. I think that we're going to see some form of an ending to the regular season in some form or fashion. Major League Baseball has approved, or at least the owners have approved the plan to get back to action. Um, the plan would, would have an 82-game season for 2020, um, and teams would only play games regionally meaning that if you're in the NL East like my beloved Atlanta Braves you would only play games against other NL East teams and you would only play games against AL East teams so teams would stay in the same general region so there would be no Los Angeles Angels traveling to Miami to take on the Marlins there'd be no Braves traveling to Seattle to take on the Mariners everybody would stay in the same general area games would be played in home parks um, I like this plan I think that it would be, oh, and the kicker, I apologize, I kind of buried the lead. The MLB would expand to seven playoff teams per uh, league in this plan. So 14 teams would make the playoffs. There'd be 
tons and tons of wild cards. They're adding a lot of variance because of the small amount of games that would be played. So I understand that. Uh, DH would be allowed in both leagues to save the uh, the pitchers. Um, I like it. Anything that could get us back out there, I like it. And I really, really like the fact that the schedule would be 100% balanced for everybody. I'm, I'm thinking to myself as I'm, I'm as I'm going through this, thinking from the perspective of a Braves fan, I'm thinking, man, this is going to be rough. You know, the NLE should be pretty good. The Phillies are going to be good. The Mets should be okay. Uh, you know, the Nationals should be okay. Uh, the, the Marlins are a joke. But then you got to look back and play the AL East, where that's Yankees, Red Sox, you know, Blue Jays are going to be competitive, whatever it may be. Uh, but then, you know, the reality sunk in, well, if it's tough for me, it's going to be tough for the Nationals and the Phillies. and every, You know, it, the, the schedule's going to be 100% balanced. So I think that would be fair and may the best team win. I also like the idea of an expanded postseason. One of the reasons why baseball has such a small postseason is because it has such a large regular season. So the idea is that, hey, you've got 162 games to prove that you deserve to make the playoffs. Well, now if you're only playing 80 games or whatever it may be, yeah, yeah, we can invite a couple of more teams in and we'll see how it goes. So the big kicker or the big sticking point from what we understand is um, teams are on board, team ownership is on board, but the players are not necessarily there yet because there's a dispute. The owners want to split revenue with the players, but the players want prorated contracts. So basically they want to divide their scheduled pay for 2020 in half and that's what they would be paid for the upcoming season. And, I, man, if I could guide, and I'm not in any of these conversations, obviously. I'm just a small nobody Joe Schmo from Cutoff, Louisiana. But if I could give guidance to these baseball guys, man, don't screw this up. Like, this is a time, as I touched on a couple of minutes ago, you have a chance to start your season in July, maybe even on July the 4th, at a time where there would be so much excitement, so much adrenaline, and so much passion about your game, passion and energy and excitement about baseball that we have literally maybe never seen since the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa era. Those guys have to play. Like the NBA and the NFL are going to be okay. If if the NBA cancels the rest of its season, we're all going to be excited um, next fall whenever it opens back up. The NFL, there's not a concern. The NFL is going to start in the fall. By then, we'll be okay. But if baseball just says, hey, we're going to wash the 2020 season and then not get back going until 2021 while all the other sports are, are opening back up, that would be disastrous to momentum. That would be disastrous to the game. And, man, I, I, I love baseball. I don't want to see that happen. I just think that would be a terrible decision. I know that there are... This is a sport and a league where there have been so many labor disputes and the players union and ownership don't necessarily get along very well, but they've got to figure out a way to get this done because they stand to lose so much if they don't play and if they don't get back out there. Um, UFC uh, had a a pay-per-view or um, yeah, a pay-per-view this past weekend. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm not going to break down UFC results. I wouldn't know, you know, he from she when it comes to UFC, but I just want to say uh, kudos to them because what little I saw was on the the free card, you know, the preliminary bouts or whatever on ESPN. Um, those guys were putting on a show. They were beating the tar out of one another. They were keeping the crowd entertained. And I got to tell you, from this Cajun and cutoff to all the UFC fighters around the world, I was grateful 
that I was able to watch a live event for two hours and enjoy myself and pass a good time. Uh, it was great. It was great to see some you know live sports, and it was great to watch that, and you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And I'm not usually a UFC guy, but I thoroughly enjoyed. So now I'm going to talk about something that maybe wasn't quite as entertaining, at least for what I was expecting, and that was the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view. So if you're not a wrestling fan, you could go ahead and hit stop on your dial right now because I'm going to be spending the rest of the show talking about WWE. Um, the Money in the Bank pay-per-view took place uh, in multiple multiple locations. Uh, some of it was at the Performance Center in Florida. Some of it was in Stamford, Connecticut at the uh, WWE headquarters. Um, I'm going to give kind of a rundown of what I thought of the show. Um as a whole, I was left wanting more. Um, man, here's the thing. Like, I was disappointed um, in the way that this show flowed. I was disappointed. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to sound hypocritical because I'm always the guy saying that less is more when it comes to wrestling. But when you have five hours of episodic television a week, three on Raw, two on SmackDown, and then your pay-per-view is designed to be a best of those five hours of episodic television, you can't have a two-hour pay-per-view and expect me to leave that being fulfilled. Like, this pay-per-view is two hours and 20 minutes. Like, I left it, you know, it wasn't even 9 o'clock, and it was finished, and I'm thinking to myself, like, that's it? Like, I was I was wanting to see more, and it was just a, a disappointing night. I thought that they could have done so much more and did so much better to enhance storylines and to give a better product. And there were some reasons for that. We'll talk about that in just a second. Jeff Hardy and Cesaro on the kickoff show. First and foremost, shame on whoever put this on the kickoff show. This was a one of the best matches of the night. Jeff Hardy beat Cesaro. Um, I'll give it you know an 8 out of 10. I thought it was solid, as you would expect with Jeff Hardy and Cesaro. Um, this match got me pumped up for what was to come because I was thinking to myself, man, if this is on the kickoff show, then we're... We're about to be treated, but I guess that, that didn't go uh, the way that we expected. The SmackDown Tag Team Championship match, New Day, defends their titles over Miz and Morrison, the Forgotten Sons, and the Lucha House Party. Um, first off, what in the hell are the Lucha House Party doing in a title match? Um, for one, the Forgotten Sons, I thought, fared pretty well. I thought that they were maybe the unsung heroes of the match. I hadn't seen a ton of them, um, but I was impressed. New Day wins, which I was maybe a little surprised at, but all yeah, this was an okay match. This was this was decent. Um, New Day wins. They they they're solid, man. They're they're good hands. They put on a good show every time they're out there, and they deserve those belts that are around their waist. Now we get to the part of the show where things kind of got a little bit quirky. Um, Our Truth against Bobby Lashley. Um, this was supposed to be MVP versus Our Truth. And then Bobby Lashley just shows up and just squashes our truth. Like, I, I'm not big on having a squash match on a pay per view. Um, there, there's no. If you want to have Bobby Lashley and our truth on the show, that's cool. But that could have been on the pre-show. There's no reason that this match should have been on the actual pay per view over Jeff Hardy and Cesaro. Um, but all bro, Bobby Lashley has big muscles, and all bro, Bobby Lashley's married to Lana, or is even still married to Lana. We don't see her on TV anymore. Um, this was very for forgettable and I don't like the idea of paying money to watch a one minute squash match. But then again, at WrestleMania, we all paid money for two separate squash matches that were both coincidentally for the world championship. So 
I guess it could have been worse. SmackDown's Women's Championship match, Bayley versus Tamina. Um, I told you guys when I was predicting this show, I didn't think that Tamina belonged in a championship match because it was she's not going to win. Like She's never won a big match in her career. No one thought that she was a threat to win the championship against Bayley. It was just kind of a bridge to get Bayley onto the next thing. It was a bridge to enhance uh, Bayley and Sasha Banks, which is going to be the end game here for this eventually over time. Uh, but uh, for what it was, I thought it was okay. Uh, Tamina handled herself okay. Bailey is, is a pro. She did a good job. Uh, it was okay, but but I, I, I was okay with this match because I didn't expect it to be anything special. Now, the two world championship matches will start with uh, the first one of the two, Braun Strowman versus Bray Wyatt. Um, I hated it. I, I absolutely hated it. Um, I thought that the result is what it needed to be. I, I said publicly if, if Bray Wyatt won, I wouldn't have watched WWE anymore. Uh, so Strowman needed to win. Um, but they were working and grinding, and then now all of a sudden, um, Braun Strowman puts on this mask, and he's pretending like he's turning to Bray Wyatt, and I didn't understand that part of it. Like, did anybody in the world really think that all of a sudden he was going to join Bray Wyatt at that moment and surrender the championship? I know I didn't believe that. Um, it felt fake. I did like the stuff with the puppets on the outside, but I thought that it was just an awkward ending. And a very abrupt and sudden ending. Um, so I didn't like that match very much. Um, but, you know, again, uh, this was a match that I had a lot of fire and fuel around because I was watching like a hog visit. My, my fate as a fan kind of rested on that one. The next one, Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins. Uh, great A. Uh, this was the highlight of the card. Um, Seth Rollins, again, you know, he put on a show at WrestleMania and uh push kevin owens forward and uh, you know here he puts puts on a show and pushes drew mcintyre forward um i said in the last show i wanted to see the crowd reaction that drew mcintyre would get in front of a live audience um and i left this match thinking that they would have been rocking because i was back and forth action packed i never thought seth rollins was a threat to win the match um but those guys were competing those guys were doing an excellent job putting one another over selling for one another that was an excellent show, and far and away the best uh, show on the match was that one. Now we get to <laughs> the Money in the Bank ladder matches. I was excited to see what could potentially happen with the whole idea of you're going to start on the ground level of WWE headquarters, and then you're going to work your way up, and uh, you know you could potentially end up on the roof and the ceiling, and then it was kind of decided earlier in the show that both matches would be going on at once, which I immediately drew a red flag. That's going to be a cluster F. That is tw it's, it's impossible to follow 12 separate competitors at one time. Then I saw the style of it, and it wasn't a wrestling match at all. It was that same WrestleMania-style cinematic movie-style format. And during WrestleMania, it was... It was um, a hit. I liked both tries at it. I liked the John Cena Bray Wyatt thing. I liked the Undertaker and AJ Styles thing. I didn't like this very much. There was a mixture of there was comedy. There was you know cheesy segments, and it just took away from what I usually call the two best matches of the year: 
wrestling fans love the Money in the Bank ladder match because you're literally seeing who you think the next world champion is going to be. Um, so to have so much cheese and fluff in what should be such a serious and literally company-changing match just didn't do anything for me. And on top of that, you know, you got the comedy and the skits and they're in Vince McMahon's office and AJ Styles and Rey Mysterio are laughing and joking and clowning around. Um, just a mess. And then you get to the results. Um, the women's result, I didn't necessarily like, but it makes more sense now knowing that Becky Lynch is going away, that you could put the title on Asuka and have the two big, you know, heels chase Asuka around. That makes sense. Um, but does anybody seriously think that Otis is a threat to carry this company and draw money for this company going forward? I don't think that. And I like Otis as a character. I don't think that he's any threat to draw any money. The finishes were, were fast. They were rushed. Um, without commentary, there was no one to sell the idea that King Corbin threw two guys supposedly off the roof of the building. I didn't, the lack of commentary, the, the, how fast this all played out, the fact that you had to keep track of 12 different competitors, it was a complete mess. Um, and these were two of the matches that should have been two of the best matches of the year in the company. And instead you could flush them both down the drain because they were, they were awful. So the winners of this night, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, big time. Cesaro uh, put on a show as always. Jeff Hardy put on a show as always. I think Tamina is one of the winners of the night because I actually thought she held her own in a women's championship match, something I didn't think she could do. But all in all, man, it's hard for me to give this show a grade of anything higher than a C. This was not very good. Um, but I will say this, the next night, Monday Night Raw last night, was one of the best Monday Night Raws that they've had since they've gone to the no-crowd format. So they picked up for it a little bit, but whew, that was a rough pay-per-view. Trey Bruce, thank you so much for the time. Siobhan Coleman, thank you so much for the time. Thanks to our listeners so very much. Thanks to the people of Louisiana, the people of Lafouche Parish so very much. We're entering phase one on Friday. Continue to stay safe. Continue to social distance. Continue to wash your hands and do all the things that have gotten us to this point. If we do everything that we're told we should, we're going to continue to move forward. We're going to get back to life as normal. We're going to have our Friday night uh, lights in the fall our LSU football in the fall, all those wonderful things, but we've got to stick to the plan. Another episode coming in the next couple of days. We're going to sign off right here. Keep it on lafouchegazette.com. You guys have a wonderful afternoon and evening.